Welcome back to That Wasn't In My Textbook, our bi-weekly podcast that helps us uncover the things we always wish we learned from that boring, bulky textbook. I'm your host, Toya, and you're now listening to Episode 9, The History of Travel, From the Green Book to Pandemic Road Trippin'. Happy Friday, everyone. Today, we're talking about traveling, looking at traveling while black, and particularly with looking at the Green Book, which was a black travel guide. And then we are also joined today by a special guest, Kristen, who is the founder of Crush Global, a travel company that has now started creating dope road trip travel guides. Now, I know you might be listening and are like, Toya, did you say we're talking about travel today? And the answer is yes, because there are some people who are listening right now and they're like, Toya, you are tripping. I'm not traveling anywhere. We are in the middle of a pandemic and I feel you on that. But then there are those listening who are like, I am tired of being in the house I'm suffering from pandemic fatigue and, you know, I'm ready to get out. Maybe I'll, maybe I won't get on a plane, but maybe I'll take a nice little road trip and stay in an Airbnb, you know? So whether or not you're on either end of the spectrum or you have either or of these feelings, this episode is for you. We're going to talk about all those things. We're going to talk about this debate that I feel like is brewing right now, at least here in America. Should you be traveling? Is traveling safe? Those are the two questions that many people have been kind of struggling with. I felt like we should kick off this episode talking about a black travel guide in history that was developed during the Jim Crow era, which was basically when segregation was legal, and then jump into the future and talk about pandemic travel. So before we jump into that, I have two announcements, like, you know, like those black church announcements before the sermon starts. (laughs) My first announcement is if you are a new listener here, welcome. You are now listening to one of the funnest, rawest, is rawest a word, (laughs) podcast on history out there. And then my second announcement is for everyone who's listening, you know, we need to just stop for a moment. I mean, if you're listening and you're driving, please don't don't stop if you have the green light. But just like, let's pause for a moment. Stop what you're doing right there. I'm talking about you. Put down that sponge and give yourself a pat on the back, a round of a motherfucking applause because we have officially entered the last quarter of the year. And I think, you know, this was probably one of the toughest years for all of us worldwide. And I just think we just deserve, you know, some acknowledgement. We're going into the end of the year pretty strong. Hopefully, you know, we've learned a lot. We've survived a lot, I'm telling you. And there's still more to come because we have elections. But we'll save that for a different time. (laughs) Okay, now back to our topic at hand, traveling. Today's episode is really, really good. We're going to kick it off with the Green Book, talking about this historical black 
guide that helped black folks figure out where it was lit, where it was not so lit, where it was racist, where it was not racist to go when they were road tripping in America back in the day. And then we're going to sit down with my friend Kristen, who is a travel journalist. She's going to talk to us about how she changed her travel company to survive the pandemic by creating really, 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 really dope guides. Then she's, we're also going to discuss travel shaming that's happening during the pandemic. I know some of y'all either have experienced it or done it, including myself. <laughs> and then Kristen and I talk about, you know, the future of travel. You know, what is it going to look like from this point on? And she also gives us a list of dope black travel icons that definitely wasn't in our text. So there's a couple of things that inspired this episode. One, just being what I mentioned a little bit earlier, that a lot of people have been wrestling with traveling. Should people be traveling during the pandemic? I actually read an article that said that a lot of people, in particular millennials, are finding themselves doing a lot of road trips during this time period, especially if you're working remotely, it you know, during this time period, you can get away with, you know, taking a trip or two as long as you have access to like internet and computer. So that article was one of the things that sparked today's episode. Another thing that sparked today's episode is HBO's Lovecraft show. I don't know if y'all watching it. It comes on on Sunday nights. You should be watching it. It's really good. It's based on like a comic sci-fi book, which I need to read, but it's a really good show. And one of the characters, Uncle George, is he makes guides. I think he's similar to the man that we're going to talk about today, Victor Hugo Green, who created guides. So he um, would take road trips and find out different information about different cities and different towns for black people. And in one of the first episodes, the characters end up going to a sundown town, which apparently was a real thing. And so that inspired me to kind of talk about the Green Book. And then, you know, of course, I talked to Kristen, who is a friend of mine, and she started doing road trips. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a time for us to talk about this episode. And so Quickly, if you don't know what sundown towns are, I learned about it from this show. I actually looked it up. But sundown towns were towns that really existed, in particularly in the South, but you could find them anywhere, that was that basically said that if you were black, you could not be out after sundown. And if you were, you would be subjected to violence by law or citizens. So you couldn't be out and about. You couldn't be on the road once the sun was down. You could get arrested. You could get murdered. You could get lynched. And that was a thing. It was a legal term. And it was enforced by law enforcement. I've used the word Green Book a couple times. I haven't gone into the details quite yet. But some of you might who are listening might have heard of the Green Book. There was a film about it shot a couple of years ago, and I think it did relatively well in terms of like gaining awards, but people had a lot of beef with this film. So one of the things that people didn't like was that it was shot by a mostly white team of men, I believe. One of the other things that people didn't like about the film was that it didn't focus on the book in actuality and ended up focusing on a couple and the book happened to be mentioned a couple times here and there. 
I haven't watched the film. I'm not interested in watching the film. But I know that, you know, when we talk about things that weren't in our textbook, for me, the Green Book wasn't. I don't think a lot of people had it in their textbook. But I know the term, the book might be familiar to some people because there was a film about it that had a lot of controversy. And I think people ended up learning something new, but then they also weren't satisfied with the quality of the film. So, yeah. So you might have heard of it before. But let's jump into you know, what the Green Book is and some other facts that we should know about this historic, iconic black guide that kept black folks safe. And then we're going to jump into the interview with Kristen, where we're going to talk about the the current and the future of pandemic traveling. So we always start with the definition. What is the Green Book and was it really green? <laughs> so the Green Book was a traveler's guide, it, a black traveler's guide in particular. Word on the street is that they called it the Black Bible of Travel, but the other official names include the Negro Motorist Green Book and the Negro Traveler's Green Book. The guy came out every year over a course of about 25 to 30 years. It was created by Victor Hugo Green, and he started them in 1936, and the last one, I believe, was in 1967. And again, this was they were published and printed during the Jim Crow era, which is basically the time when Jim Crow laws were upheld, which are which were just laws that said it was legal to discriminate against someone who's black and that the laws that made it okay to have a colored water fountain and a white water fountain and, you know, separate but equal. That's pretty much what those Jim Crow laws were about. Racist, legally enforced ass laws. By the way, Victor, the creator of the Green Book, was from one of the best places on earth. Where do y'all think that is? Harlem, New York. (laughs) Yes, similar to your host, he was from Harlem. He also worked for the United States Post Office, which, shameless plug, if you have not listened to the History of USPS episode on how USPS created a black middle class back in the day and on the current state of USPS, then I suggest that you go listen to that. (laughs) Um, But clearly, Victor was one of the many, 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 many black folks that were hired by the USPS. And we're making connections here episode by episode. So boom. Okay. Enough with that little tangent. Let's get back to the subject at hand. So during this racist Jim Crow era, road tripping exploded across the U.S. Because during the 20th century, more and more and more Americans were able to afford cars. So the combination of affordable cars, people making more money so they could have this thing called disposable income, extra money in their pockets, and the creation of paid vacation really popped off the road tripping scene. It just became a really big thing here in America. And so, you know, tourist homes, roadside motels, restaurants, tourist attractions, all these other things made it convenient for car travel. And It made it joyous and spontaneous and adventurous for most 
emphasis on most Americans, but not for black folks. The experience was quite the opposite. Car travel could be really, really dangerous. You, you know, traveling while black period was a scary experience. And, you know, if you pull up to the wrong restaurant, gas station, you could be humiliated, you could be beat, and in worst case scenario, you could be murdered. So Victor kind of experienced the difficulties of traveling while black, and that's what sparked him to create the Green Book. He actually drove from Richmond to New York. You know, he went to go pick up wifey and they drove from Richmond to Harlem, New York. And that's when he got that firsthand experience of how hard it was and how difficult and how dangerous it was to road trip while black. And so, boom, we got the green book. So at 44 years old, remember, it's never too late to start that thing that you've been thinking about. Green published the first guide, and that was in 1936. It was only 15 pages long, and this first edition only listed New York City businesses that welcomed black folks. Now, I don't know if a lot of people know this, so turn me up a little bit in your headphones, but the Green Book wasn't the first or the only black guide. There were other guides, like the Hackley and Harrison Hotel and Apartment Guide for Colored Travelers, what actually came out before the Green Book. That was like 1930 to 1931. Then there were other guides that came out around the same damn time as the Green Book, like the Travel Guide and Grayson's Guide, the go-to guide to pleasant motoring. But they didn't really pop off or reach the audience size of Victor's Green Book, you know, I mean, people are calling it the Bible of black travel. So once you get a name and a rep like that, you don't really have any competition now, do you? People loved the first green book so much that the following year, Victor just made it bigger and better. And it included businesses not only in New York, but nationwide. Now, remember, the first one only enlisted black owned businesses in New York City. Victor was able to make the second edition bigger and better because, one, he hired his homie, Charles McDowell, who was a part of the Negro Affairs for the United States Travel Bureau. So he helped Victor make the second edition bigger and better. Victor also tapped into his network, the U, you know, the United States Post Office, his homies there who were stationed all over the nation, right? helped him make the book better. They would call him up and they would say, hey, I'm in Richmond. This is the places that are black owned. These are the places that are black friendly. This is the place that's lit. And so he used his network because United States, remember the United States Post Office is all over the world to create a better guide because he also couldn't travel all over. And then the last thing that helped him make the second edition so much better, he included user reviews so people would submit suggestions to him and also submit reviews so the green book sounds like it was like a handbook yelp you know like you could look up businesses they tell you what it is you leave a review but it was like a black handbook yelp you know what i'm saying before yelp was yelping so in this second one that's bigger and better 
there were a list of motels, tourist homes, restaurants, and there was an additional list of taverns, nightclubs, tailors, barbershops, beauty salons, drugstores, liquor stores, gas stations, and garages. The guide was just so much better. It included articles like what to see in Chicago. They also had travel essays. One of them was called a Canadian trip. So they were even talking about Canada folks. And then the guide also had some like special topics and travel tip articles like how to guard your home during vacation season and then what to wear in Bermuda which is pretty, pretty dope if you think about the time period, right? 1930s. And then on top of it, right, because we're talking about a road trip guide, the guide also had reviews for cars. So you know which cars are popping, which cars are shitty, and you can have a safe, reliable road trip. During this segregation era, you know, racist discriminatory laws and practices made traveling by car super problematic and dangerous for black people along you know the highways the freeways black travelers were you know traditionally denied access like that was okay you got to wrap your mind around it like you could it was okay to someone for someone to tell you that you can't use their gas station because you're black you can't you go to get food you can't use the restroom you can't get lodging so stopping at an unfamiliar place carried a lot of risk And to find safe and friendly recommendations, travelers relied on, you know, word of mouth. That's always reliable. You know, your friends tell you what's up. And and then they also relied on, you know, published travel guides like the Green Book. Over time, as more and more editions came out, Victor really got into his making black guides bag, you know. In a span of 10 years, the length of the guide had more than tripled. It went from 15 pages in the first edition to 80 pages. And he was doing this all the while he was still working for the post office. And he was probably about 55 around that time. As pages of the guides expanded, so did the places they covered. They kind of went even outside of America. So they had America down. It was about 50 states that they covered. And then they had travel tips and tricks and places to go and things to do for Canada, the Caribbean, Latin America, Europe, and even Africa. Okay? With time, Victor did start to narrow down his topics you know he got into his niche as we like to say he rebranded and he took out the food gas stations nightclubs travel chips travel tips and just listed hotels motels and tourist homes the green book paused during world war ii but resumed in 1947 By that time, Victor had opened his own travel company and, you know, it was stationed in Harlem on 135th Street, okay, Uh, above a a black music hotspot called Small Paradise. And it was after opening his travel company that he finally retired from the post office in 1952. Oh, and here's another little tidbit that I don't know people know about the Green Book, but... 
some of the newer versions of the guide started to list white friendly businesses that welcomed black people. But, you know, there was also some white friendly businesses that might have got their way into the book because they're just trying to get the black dollar. You know, good old capitalism. Generally speaking, the Green Book didn't really get into politics, but, you know, the overall tone of the book and inspiration behind the book was because they were trying to safely navigate racist-ass America, right, and segregation. So here and there in the guide, you would find subliminal and some not-so-subliminal writing from Charles or Victor or other contributors of the guide that kind of addressed some of the fucked up shit that black travelers had to do to remain safe on the road. In the intro to the 1948 guide, Green wrote, and I quote, there will be a day sometime in the near future when this guide will not have to be published. This is when we as a race will have equal opportunities and privileges in the United States. It will be a great day for us to suspend the publication for then we can go wherever we please and without embarrassment. Green passed away in 1960, four years before the passage of the Civil Rights Act that put an end to freaking Jim Crow. Thank goodness. Took too damn long. Once the Civil Rights Act was passed in 1964 and, you know, now segregation is not legal it kind of reduced the demand for the guide and the publication ceased in 1967 now if you're interested in seeing what the green book looks like you can google it there's some that will come up from like the smithsonian museum the african-american smithsonian museum in dc but also the new york city public library schomburg you know the schomburg in harlem okay Uh, The Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture, that's the official name, has digitized 21 issues of the Green Book. So if you're interested in learning or seeing it, they might have it on their website or you might have to go in. I'm not really too sure. So those are the things that I wanted you to know. So those are the things that should be in our textbook about, you know, road tripping and traveling while black. It probably should be in the history textbook around, you know, somewhere inserted around the Jim Crow era, talking about traveling while black in the Green Book. Now, you know, the Green Book was created in the Jim Crow era, right? The 1930s to the early 1960s. However, you know, history... And the news show that it's still challenging and quite dangerous to travel while black, as we've seen different articles where people are getting harassed when they're standing in line for an airplane, you know, and particularly getting harassed if they're standing in line for the first class line because black folks can be in first class, right? That's sarcasm, everyone. So we know that traveling while black is still a modern day touchy issue and challenge for black folks and then just on top of that just doing anything while black at this point seems like a point of freaking contingency like a point of danger like you can't even go to the store and pick up skittles and sprite while black in your own neighborhood you can't sleep in your own bed in your own house while black 
You know, the list goes on and on and on. But today is about traveling. So now we're going to jump into the interview with Kristen, where we're going to talk about the future of traveling, in particularly looking at road tripping. You know, we're going to talk about traveling during the pandemic. We're going to talk about travel shaming because, you know, some people are, are really doing that right now. We're going to talk about the Josephine and Baldwin effect. You might not know what I'm talking about, but listen to the the interview and you'll find out. And then we also discuss road tripping and in the United States at this moment during the pandemic and the current state of traveling and the future of traveling. So let's jump into this interview with Kristen. All right. Um, Kristen, thank you so much for joining me on That Wasn't In My Textbook podcast. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm very excited to have you here because, you know, we're friends. We're also in a dope book club, which I'm excited for our meeting on Saturday <laughs> to talk about Lester. But um, I would just really wanted to have you on here because you're a really dope travel journalist and you are like, a, you know, you're a vet in this game. So I really wanted to have you kind of talk to us about, you know, traveling, because I think that's a really um, important and popular topic right now during this pandemic. Like, can you travel? What's the safest way to travel? And I know that you just recently released some really dope road trips, um, highlighting Black-owned businesses. So, you know, I love that. So I'm really excited to, like, learn more about that process. And, you know, as a, as a experienced travel journalist, to tell us like, you know, what is the landscape right now and what you think the future is. So I'll let you start out by introducing yourself. <laughs> awesome, I'm Kristen Braswell. I am the founder of Crush Global Travel, which started about five years ago. Um, and it really, it was meant to be a service for black travelers in the space to be able to travel based on their budget, their need, their interests. I started in Havana, Cuba, that was really successful. And then we launched into Paris, Morocco, um, and then 2020 came and I kind of had to shift my international focus to more domestic safe things. And so that's how the road trips came about. Yeah, I feel like the theme of 2020 is definitely definitely pivoting. And you have like done that with these road trips because that's all I'm looking at right now. <laughs> um, so the signature question of the show that we always open up with with our guests is like, what is your definition of travel or traveling? Mm -hmm. So my definition of travel is taking um, yourself out of your own immediate experience and going into another one, you know, and that doesn't have to entail having a passport or even getting on a plane. It's simply exposing yourself to something different than your immediate environment. Because I've gone places like in Queens, you know, when I lived in New York and I was like, oh, I feel like I'm here, you know, in, in a completely different place. So I think that there's a, this idea, especially with social media, that you really have to flex when you travel. It has to mm -hmm. be international, but it absolutely does not. And I think that it is meant to just get us out of our immediate surroundings to be introduced to new cultures, new food, new languages, and really broaden our way of thinking. So. Yeah, I love that you said, you know, that it's also kind of, it doesn't have to be a passport. Because I think, in a beautiful way, I think a lot of people of color, particularly in the past couple of years, have been celebrating luxury travel, which is, is dope, you know what I'm saying? But I also think that there is something that is missing about just discovering your neighborhood or the, the state next over, you know? Like I, when I graduated from grad school, I was on a super tight budget and I was like, I want to travel and I couldn't travel anywhere. Like my bank account was like, I don't know where you're going. <laughs> but I was like, okay, I'm going to make a point. I'm going to make a point to just travel like 
you know, domestically, just because there's some states I've never even been to. And that was the first summer that I went to like Chicago. And I was like, Chicago's so beautiful. And they are, I didn't realize they were just like a food, like they have the food game on lock. I forgot the term they use it. But you know, they have like all different types of food. I was just like eating all day, every day. And I was like, I need to do more of this. There's a lot of places that I haven't been, um, you know, just in United States. And I feel like I've done a lot of international travel, which I'm grateful for too. But I'm like, I still need to like, I've never been to Atlanta. I don't want anyone to take away my black card, but I haven't been to Atlanta. And I know that's like a place I need to go. <laughs> so I, I think it's beautiful that you highlighted that it doesn't have to be, you know, all passport stamps all the time, right. especially during this time when you can't get on it. Yeah. Right. I mean, there are even places in California like Napa and Sonoma where I've been to Tuscany, you know, fortunately in Italy and done the vineyards there. And I'm like, I'm in Napa and I close my eyes and feel like, oh, wait, this looks just like Italy. You know, I think that there are domestic places that are just as beautiful as other parts in the world. Now, there are things that about America to me that are very ugly, <laughs> but mm -hmm, they definitely with the way that some of the land looks. Some of the land is very beautiful. So I think it's definitely worth exploring. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so another signature question is, was traveling in your textbook, you know, any type of traveling in your textbook growing up in, you know, elementary, high school, college, all that stuff? Um, <laughs> you know, no, not really, particularly if we're talking about Black travel, and <laughs> that's something that I really, really would love to see. Um, I think that most of the exposure or the memories that I have of travel growing up and in school really has to do with reading, which is part of the reason why I love books so much. Mm -hmm. But that's fictional, right? Like, I want the real history, the real traveling stories and experiences of Black people. And that was very much omitted from history books. When I think of travel, I think of like Janie and their eyes were watching God and her coming back to Eatonville and, the, mm -hmm. you know, thing. You know how much I love homegoing. Yes, yes. <laughs> I think that does such an incredible job of it. Again, it's fictional based on real experiences, but mm -hmm. that diasporic experience that she presents from Ghana all the way to Oakland yes. just completely just enraptured me the entire time. I love that book so much. But again, fiction. So I think that there needs to be a huge push for really recognizing more Black travel stories outside of the context even of sundown towns, of mm -hmm. book, you know, um, and really flourishing Black enclaves and communities of Black people who owned hotels. You yeah. know, in LA, like Manhattan Beach with the Bruce Beach story, things like that. I think Elizabeth Wilkerson's book, um, The Warmth of Other Suns, should mm -hmm. be required reading about the migration, the Black migration in America. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, no. Okay, okay. <laughs> I did, not, did not learn about that at all in school, and I think it's a tragedy. Yeah, and you kind of already answered my, my follow-up question, which was to be what part of the topic do you think is important to include in the books, and you already, you already said it. Because yeah, I think like I know about green books, but I don't know if everyone is, knows about that, but there's also stuff outside of of the green books, like you said. And I just learned about Bruce Beach because my friend went there, and then she tagged in, she said something about it, and I was like, what? Yeah, so. I mean, Mm -hmm. that, I, uh, that story to me warrants more articles, a movie, a documentary. I was reading recently that the Black community there actually did a swim-in, like where they refused to leave the beach, they were in the water, the NAACP helped organize it, and they got arrested. Like, it's just, it, it's really an incredible story. And there's so many stories like that in Martha's Vineyard, up and down the coast in Virginia, 
of black people who really created, especially their own seaside towns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never learned about any of these things growing up um, at all. So. I know. And I think that that's important, you know, just to learn about yourself. You know, I think we focus, I think textbook focus a lot on slavery, you know what I'm saying? But there's also other aspects of the Black experience, you know, before and after that, that need to be highlighted, like traveling. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of highlighting that type of stuff, I know that your road trips do that. So and I, we talked about like the theme of 2020 is pivoting. So could you talk more about how you came about making these road trips, what they are? Because I, I don't want to assume everyone knows what they are. So you need to introduce them um, and then talk about like how you pivoted into doing road trips and how the pandemic has kind of affected traveling and travel journalism. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 2020, I think, was very much a year that flipped us all upside down and we didn't see coming. Facts. I was very hard last year. <laughs> That's one way to put it, right? Are we allowed first at all? Yes, or? of course. I've almost said an ex- okay, I've almost said an expletive a few times and I'm like... No, oh, you can curse. We were talking about the ancestors and Black history, but... Yes, no. It's been a shit show um, for everyone. Absolutely. Particularly for the travel industry, when you own a travel business and you wake up one day and no one can travel, it's yeah. like, okay. So I had all these international trips planned, right, that have been postponed. My clients have been very gracious. They're ready to go whenever it's time, but I'm also not going to put them at risk in any capacity. And I'm not going to put people in other countries at risk. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times travelers aren't thinking about that, what we could potentially be, you know, vulnerable for, especially Americans, because we're a hot mess right now. Um so I'm like, all right, I have a travel business. This is my passion. What can I do? Mm-hmm. Road trips, right? I already sort of started to see the undercurrent of the building, things on Instagram, people hitting the road, RVs, whatever else, weekend trips. Um, and because my clientele is primarily Black travelers, I thought, how can I also generate revenue and put it back into the hands of all these local business people, Black business people, right? Tour guides, um, sommeliers, chefs. Mm-hmm. What are historians and how can we work together and partner to create domestic travel experiences for my clients? And that's kind of where it took off. So right now I have pre-made guides and they're for California, the South and the Northeast. But we're also going to start to do customized guides for people who are in different regions or just want to have a different experience. So That's so, so. dope. Thank you. That's really yeah. nice. I'm excited to get my hands on them. I know they just, I got the email and I'm like, yeah. okay, I need to go. Because <laughs> I recently just booked a trip to Joshua Tree for October. Okay. okay. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, let me see what, yeah. what I can do out there. Because I've never been there either. So That's actually the perfect time to go there because um, it is like hell hot there right now. Okay. Okay. It's when it cools down a little bit and you can really see the stars. And so that's, that's a good time. All right. I'm excited. I'm excited yeah. about that. Can you also just tell us about how you started Global Crush? Because I don't, we kind of just got into the conversation, but yeah. you know, what inspired you to start that? Um, and I know it has a lot to do with Black travel, but like, how did it all come into fruition to get us here to these dope road trips that everyone should check out and buy and use? <laughs> um, so what sparked Crush Global was my love for travel. Um, and then that love of travel turned me into a travel journalist and then an entrepreneur. So I'll tell you a very quick story that I love for travel. Um, okay. My mom was taking a class um, at a university very close to here, actually. And in the office, I was sitting there waiting for her to get out of class. And I saw a brochure for Oxford University. 
and they had this creative writing fellowship. I'm a black girl growing up in LA, you know, 10 minutes away from Inglewood. I didn't have a passport, don't know Oxford from whatever. I mean, of course I had heard of it, okay. but I just remember in that moment, and this is why I always believe like life will lead the energy that you put out or what needs to be given to you will happen in that moment. Because mm. it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to Oxford. Don't know how I'm going to get there. Don't know if I'm going to get into the program, but I, I know that I saw that brochure for a reason. So I went to Oxford. My mom made a way. Wow. My economy, economy flight from LA to Oxford was in this writing fellowship program. And it was the first time I realized, oh, there's a world out there, like a, a real world outside of even if I take a weekend trip with my family to San Diego, there are people who speak different languages, mm-hmm. who are in a completely different time zone who have, you know, completely different cultures, uh, ways that they survive. And I fell in love with that. Like, and I thought, how can I always stay connected to this type of mentality where I'm always aware of everything that's outside of my immediate surrounding? I can tell their stories. I can connect with them. I can become a journalist. Mm -hmm. So I became a travel journalist. And then as I was having these experiences as a travel journalist, I thought, how can I share this with people, particularly black people? Because anything that I do, I want Black people to be able to do it too, Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially if it's enjoyable. And so that's how I started Crush Global, really being able to share these experiences that I have had with the journalist, as a journalist, been fortunate enough to have, um, and really imparting that education and those experiences to people as well. Wow, that's so dope. I like how it was just kind of like you saw that brochure and you were like, that's what I'm going to do, you know, that's yeah. the universe conspiring with you, you know? Yeah. And that so. was summer. That was actually the same summer that I was there is the, around the time that Princess Di had died as well. Oh, wow. So it was like, we took day trips to London. It was just, it was a wild experience of seeing a country, you know, in mourning, of mm-hmm. being in time, of realizing British people don't season their food. Sorry. But- <laughs> <laughs> I heard, I heard. <laughs> I see why. I mean, yeah, they needed to go to India and, and yeah, they need to get those spices. They need to go. They needed to go. I wish they didn't need to, you know, murder exactly. people along the way. But exactly, they, they only asked for a few things to live, and, and of course, they didn't. But of course, yes. you know. <laughs> so. <laughs> yes. so, in this pandemic, you know. Um, I feel like there's a lot of, there's this, uh, this term that I looked up that I saw in like an article was talking about like travel shaming at this time, right? Because like you were mentioning about um, earlier about like, you know, you don't want to put your clients at risk. And at the same time, you don't want to put the people of these countries at risk because America is a hot ass mess. Um, And so how do you feel about some of the, the travel shaming that's going around? um, And yeah, what are your thoughts and feelings on it at this moment? Um, you know, honestly, I haven't paid too much attention to it. I feel like I've only looked at it from the perspective, and I try to practice this in general, like, well, this is what I'm going to do. I don't yeah, know I'm worried about my damn self. <laughs> I'm over here minding my business mm-hmm. and, you know, mind yours, whatever that might be. I do feel a lot of empathy for the people in the service industry mm-hmm. um, or people who might be traveling I feel like a criminal when I say very willy nilly, uh-huh. <laughs> not taking the proper precautions or, or countries where you don't have to get tested before and you're just going yeah. you might at a pool party in Miami the weekend before, like those things I do care about. Um, I'm not going to speak out on it because yeah. you're grown, do what you want. 
Uh, I, and I, I would just say for anyone considering travel, just think beyond yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I know that it sucks, but I promise you life is not going to end if we're not able to get on a plane for a few more weeks or a few more months. If it means that eventually we can in some capacity that we once knew, we just have to sacrifice for the greater good right now. But if someone is being responsible, they decide they're going to take a weekend trip to Cabo, like that's their business. I feel like, you know, I personally don't feel comfortable traveling internationally and probably won't until we see what happens with the elections in November and beyond. Uh, yes. That uh, part. Like, We're about to go into a civil war, but that's another story. Yeah. Uh, and I will be traveling domestically doing road trips and promoting, but also just for my own enjoyment. So yeah, I mean, people are listening. People also have that desire to still flex on social media. Yes, that's I it. I really don't really feel comfortable posting a picture of me in the Maldives at a beach villa, like in the middle of a pandemic. That's just yeah. my thing. <laughs> but I get that that is some people's, you know, their vibe, their their brand, whatever. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely, I haven't really been paying too much to, to it either. I mean, obviously I have Instagram and I look at people's stories and I'm just like, okay, like, cool. You know what I'm right, saying? Right. I have, I try to just worry about myself and know my own boundaries. I did see someone who, I don't remember her Instagram name, but she's like a traveler. I think she was traveling for work, but she talked about how in some places in Europe in particular, they make you get tested before. And like, she had to quarantine in her hotel and they like came in and checked on her. So it also just seems like some kind countries are really really enforcing the quarantine and like making people get retested and and that's cool too um you know for the places that are doing that but at the same time I don't know how I feel about publicly sharing it you know I'm like maybe I would go on a trip but it might be on the low you know what I'm saying exactly like okay maybe I will be in Paris for New Year's like I planned (laughs) no I'm not I'm probably not (laughs) the world doesn't want America right now that's another thing that's another thing but I yeah it's just it's interesting it it really really is and you know another thing I will say for me person this is a personal thing part of the reason why I love to travel is I love to completely immerse myself in an experience Mm -hmm. right I love to post up at the hotel bar and talk to the bartender for a few hours I like to take a tour and you know you're in close proximity with people when you do that Mm -hmm. so that human element that is so limited right now from checking into a hotel with a mask to you know quarantining for 14 days spaced away like that probably would make me a little bit sad while I was traveling to be yeah mm-hmm. well, and I might get a little anxious too yeah um, so I, I yeah I need to just wait a little while yeah because I want to have like the full travel experience exactly. like you're saying I don't know how long that's going to take it might take more than a year but I think yeah that would also hinder you know I've never traveled in these type of conditions I don't know if I want to not just because of like right. the health risk but because like you said like you want to immerse yourself in the culture right. and the food and the conversations and you got to be six feet away yeah <laughs> with the it's face not- mask on and for some people that they're so tired of being home, it's like, that's fine. And also, I don't really like people like that anyway. I just want to go <laughs> and be at a hotel. And I get that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just too many steps for me. It's not worth it at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone is trying to navigate the pandemic, feeling a little bit pandemic fatigue, yeah. what are some safe travel things you would suggest that they do? I would suggest road trips. Shameless <laughs> plug. And I would suggest hit me up. <laughs> um, and, and honestly, I would suggest even even if you w- don't want to do a road trip and you just want to fly domestically, I would say to to do that and to just really think about 
even virtual experiences, I think are a great idea. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of wineries in Napa, Sonoma that are offering like private virtual wine tastings for people and their friends. So I think that's a good way to kind of immerse yourself in a travel experience. Of course, it's not the same as actually sitting in a winery, but it's 2020. Um, and yeah, just, just doing a lot of outdoor stuff, I think is going to be very therapeutic if you're suffering from pandemic fatigue. Like if you're not, a, I'm not a hiker, for example, but I might go to Lake Arrowhead one weekend soon and just, you know, sit by the lake. I think mm -hmm. that will be helpful just to get out. So I would say really do stuff as outdoors, especially if you're on the East Coast before winter comes. Yeah. Um, just to recenter yourself because this year has been a blur and I have found the more people that I talk to, myself included, I feel like I've worked harder this year, like working from home mm -hmm. actually than I have when I was in an office or, you know, the world was what it was. So I think it's important to really step back and recenter and try to get out. And yeah. I agree. I mean, I think outdoor space is like been a key thing to this pandemic. Like who has access to outdoor space? Do you have a balcony? Do you have a front yard or a backyard? I think that can really help with some of the, you know, pandemic fatigue and just like your mental space, you know, being home all the time, all day, every day is hard for anybody. Even people who don't like people like myself, you know, um, it's one thing that when it's a choice, it's another thing when you tell me that I can't, you know what I'm saying? Um, so I, I definitely agree. And I've been doing more hikes as well here in LA and, you know, trying to go to the beach when it's sunset and there's not as many people, you know, just trying to get, get out a little bit in a, in a safe way as much as you can. Um, so I definitely agree with that. Um, okay. So, you know, speaking of, we're all talking about travel and stuff like that. And we're talking about history as well. Um, when I think of like historical people in history to travel, you know, I think about, you know, the author of Green Book and right. Bessie Coleman, you know, the first African-American supply. And we talked about that too, right? There's some things that some people are familiar with, like the Green Book because of like the movie and all the other stuff. But what are some other travel icons that you admire that you feel like people should know? Um, you know, I have to say this to be completely transparent, like <laughs> we're talking specifically about black historical church. I feel like I don't know as many as they're probably neither are. do I be <laughs> really sad, you know, um, because I know that there are so many stories that we have not been told, mm -hmm. but in that same breath, I will say there are a few and I okay. probably hundreds more. Yeah. Um, I definitely think about Josephine Baker, you know, mm. those images of her with her cheetah in Paris. And um, I've seen a few really fierce pictures of Eartha Kitt, like, traveling around. Whenever I think of, like, the travel energy I want to exude, I, I always think of Eartha Kitt. She's a badass, so. Yes. <laughs> um, James Baldwin, without question. Um, and his travel experience in Paris is, is a little bit different and not as romantic as probably people make it to be. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, I would say Betty Reed Soskin. Um, who is the oldest national park ranger um, in Richmond. She's a black woman. She's incredible. She used to bag lunches for the Black Panthers. She's a composer, musician, and she works at the Rosie the Riveter Museum there in tourism and tells the oral history of women, you know, during World War II, then working at the shipyards. But she always talks about the black narrative as well, of black women who were involved in that of our contributions, of civil rights, of how we're left out of white feminism. So I think for someone to be doing that, like in the tourism space at a national park, and she's like, I want to say like 96. 
Whoa. So she has seen a lot. Yeah. yeah. Grew, up, grew up, you know, grew up Detroit, uh, New Orleans. She and her husband at the time, like, moved to some neighborhood in California and were driven out by racists. Like, she has so many stories to tell. And I love that she is sharing this oral history with people mm -hmm. at, you know, in a national park capacity. So she's someone I would love to see a movie done on that I would love to sit down with. Um, she's incredible. So. Wow. I never even heard of her. So I'm oh, definitely going to look into awesome. that. You've probably seen her on Instagram in some capacity and may not have known it was her. Okay. Like a, an older black woman in a park ranger outfit. Have you ever mm -hmm. seen her? I think I have, like here yeah, and there. Her. Yeah. Okay. And Summer actually did like a feature on her last year. Um, oh. She might have even had a cover or an alternate cover, but yeah, she's incredible. And she, she has a, a biography too. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to check that out. And I'll definitely put all this in the show notes for the listeners so they can look up and know where to start with all these people that you mentioned. Um, so speaking of, because you mentioned, you know, James Baldwin and Josephine Baker. And I don't know if you've heard this um, term, but it's called the James and Josephine effect, which I read about in like a Fortune article about how there are some black professionals who are choosing to work abroad because they feel like, you know, they feel free. They feel like they don't have to deal with kind of like the racial history of America. They feel like people view them first as Americans mm -hmm. before, um, before seeing them as a black person. Right. And so, I mean, I don't know if you've heard of this term, but um, why do you think that, you know, people like Josephine and James Baldwin um, had those type of experiences, you know, especially during those time, that time period um, in places like Paris? And then as someone who has traveled to Europe, has that been, have you had that experience or have you had an opposite experience? Because I had a different experience in Paris. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I feel like I could go on and on about this. And you can't, this is a space. No, 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 no. Don't go ahead. Go ahead. You're talking about two, like some of my favorite things, Paris, James Baldwin. It's like, yeah, um, there's a lot to be said, but I think that there is the idea that they were in Paris is very much romanticized. Mm -hmm. I think Paris is romanticized in general. And, and yes. I'm saying that as someone who loves Paris. Um, but I think in the case of Josephine, you know, she went there to be a performer Mm -hmm. And in that space, it's very, like, the French are not afraid to be nude. They're not afraid, you know. So the show she, were, she was doing, they were very much welcomed at the time. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it was as much, she felt like a haven there, as people describe it. She had an opportunity initially and then yeah. fell into Paris. And I think in particular, what makes James Baldwin interesting is James Baldwin almost fled New York. And has said in numerous interviews, like he did um, an interview with the Paris Review, where I remember he talked about he moved to Paris because he had no other choice. Mm. Like he saw what America had done to him, to his family, to the people that he loved. And he was like, I'm going to end up dead in jail or commit suicide. Like his best friend had committed suicide two years before he moved to Paris. Wow. And I don't think a lot of like... I don't think I didn't know that. Yeah, he threw himself off the George Washington Bridge. And so... When, when Baldwin gave this interview, he was like, I was going to be on the, on the George Washington Bridge if I did not leave America, because that is what it was doing to me as a Black person being there. Mm -hmm. So there's this idea of escape, right? But I think that when people hear James Baldwin in Paris, they think of this incredible writer who was just free and totally went in there. Heaven. <laughs> right. And so I, I would say he fled to Paris and then found a life there. And I can completely understand how, particularly as a gay man, he was more welcome there as well, which he's spoken about. Um, and then in terms of my own experiences, I think that 
we as Black Americans are always aware of our race, right? Um, mm -hmm. That's just sort of the nature of being a Black American because you're, you're made to feel very aware of your race from the time you were born. And so when I go to other countries, sometimes if I am having a racially like tense uh, situation, I do try to take a step back because I'm like, are you doing this because I'm black or just because I'm a woman like it, or because I'm walking too slow, but my natural, you know, reaction is sort of like, oh, you're doing this because I'm black because that's American mentality mm -hmm. in me. Um, and then there's other times where I'm not aware of my race at all in some places. And I'm like, are you a really good actor? Are you, you really don't care that I'm black? You know, so I think that it's so telling and, and so sad to a degree that America makes you aware of your blackness in that way, right? Where even mm -hmm. when you travel, um, you know, I, I don't think that maybe many as people fear for their lives the way we do with the police in other countries, but I do think the idea that you can leave America and will not experience racism somewhere else is completely false. Mm -hmm. um, I've experienced racism for sure all over the world. Um, in Paris in particular with my last trip there where I had a Karen situation where I had to like take a step back and go for a walk. Mm -hmm. um, and there are other places like India or, you know, a more rural village that I may have been to where I realize they're staring at me, but it's genuinely a curiosity. Yeah. It's not, what are you doing here? Cause you're black, you know? Yeah. Or like you're lesser than, it's just like, oh, and I've never seen. And it's fascinating. And then they'll be like, oh, Beyonce. And I'm, I'm like, no, but thank you. you know? <laughs> I'll take they, that. <laughs> right. They, they try to think of the first black person, you know, oh, Whitney Houston. It's exactly. Like, it's no longer living so like what are you even talking Love about her rest in peace <laughs> right exactly um so yeah i i hope that answered the question yeah. but i do understand this movement to leave america but i also think the idea that you can move somewhere else and everything is going to be this utopia um is just is false because anti-blackness the results of colonialism fascism like everything adds an element to an anti-immigrant anti-black scenario and mm -hmm. around the world. Yeah. Yeah. And those countries also have a history of colonialism and slavery to a certain Absolutely. degree. So yeah. I'm just like, I don't know where this theory came from. Yeah. I get it though. I mean, it is, it feels extremely heavy to be in America right now. Um, yeah. And America's particular, I always tell people like, yes, racism is everywhere. But America's history is like a festering sore that just gets worse and worse, it feels like. Mm -hmm. um, whereas I think that there is a way that you can kind of coexist in other countries and not feel that heaviness on a daily basis like you do here. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the difference um, and what a lot of people are seeking. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, and even now as we are in this pandemic, it's still, it's, it seems even heavier, right? Because we don't have the distractions of being able to travel and to be entertained as much because, you know, everyone is quarantined and there's not that much entertainment. There's no concerts. There's no, you know what I mean? So the the focus is, is, is really large. I wouldn't say extreme. It's really large, which is good because I think for a lot of people, especially non-Black people, it forces them to really see and recognize what's going on. Um, but then I think on the other side, especially for, for Black people, for empaths, you know, people who really feel, it, it feels really heavy, you know, and it, it's feel, it's, it feels really unfair to be like, not only do I have to fight this pandemic, but I have to continue to tell you that I matter and that I can't breathe. Yeah. And so it's just like this catch 22, you know? Absolutely. You know that saying they say when America catches a cold, Black America gets the flu. Like I've never heard of that, but yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, that's very much, it, it almost, 
I talk about this a, a lot with people that I know, like the idea that we give so we as black people give so much to the world, the world takes so much from us, culture, physical, mental, everything in between. I just, it, there's, there, there has to be a pot of gold somewhere for all of us. Cause we deserve like, I just feel like this year has been so heavy for so many people in general. And then to be black on top of that, to your point at times, it's like, or we are being tested. That, that's what I feel like. Um, and what for what? I don't know. I feel like we're almost suffering from the sins of other people and we should get a mm-hmm. break. But um, yeah, 2020 has been very, very, very heavy without question. Yeah, without question. Um, let's see. Do I have any other questions? Okay. So we're going to go into the last one. I'm being weird. Okay. We're going to go into the last two segments of the episode. So the first is just like our signature question. You know, if you had to write a chapter on traveling or travel journalism in a textbook, what would you call it and why? Oh, this is not a question I prepared for. So if I had to... <laughs> If I had to, because you were, um, it got like a little bit staticky. So you said, okay. if, I, if I had to. I'll do it again. Okay. If you had to write a chapter in a textbook on traveling or travel journalism, what would you call it and why? I would call it Bacchanalia, the freedom to be Ooh. in the world. <laughs> and I would talk oh. about the history of um and how that relates to ancestry to music to even the music that we listen to now on the ra- on the radio um i'm very much interested in carnival culture um so yeah that's that's probably what i would write about and it's very historical like everyone thinks of which i love don't get me wrong you know poom poom shorts and and the wine that, yeah which is which is a part of it but like the roots of it particularly juve um, just give me the chills when I think about it. And, and that sort of rebellion against the French and their very uptight, you know, masquerade balls that they were having and these slaves, like, you know, in black paint and being defined. Like, I just love that imagery. I love the sound of Soka. I love the history. So that would definitely be part of my history book for travel. Yes. And I love, I mean, I, Carnival is definitely on my bucket list because I haven't been yet. Um, so I'm just like, you know, every year I'm like, I'm going to go to Carnival. Obviously 2020 canceled this year. <laughs> right. lie that I probably told myself, but I'm like, you know, next year, hopefully maybe the year after, you know, I really want to wear the costume. I really want to yeah. do all that stuff. Yeah. Everyone, I mean, unless it's just not your thing, you know, which I get, like, I think that everyone should do carnival at least once in their lives. It's, there, mm-hmm. there's nothing like, especially as it gets more, and, and maybe that is a benefit of it potentially being postponed because it was getting way too mainstream and really expensive. It was. Um, so mm-hmm. maybe people, you know, organize, will take a step back and reevaluate what the root of it is and how it shouldn't be about, you know, flying influencers out to post on Instagram and it's about the culture. <laughs> Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's a beautiful, cathartic, wild experience that I highly recommend. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Okay, so before we wrap, you know, tell everyone where they can find you, um, you know, what you're doing and how they can get these really dope road trips in their lives because you need them. You need them if you're listening. <laughs> yes, yes. So you can follow me on Instagram, um, on the gram at Crush Global. 
It's the same for Twitter. Um, and then my website is crushglobaltravel.com. Um, my email is contact at crushglobal.com, um, crushglobaltravel, sorry.com. Yeah, I'm just gonna be promoting these road trips. I am definitely happy to help you know people if they have like a quick question and it's not about an actual guide, like, hey, I'm going to Arizona, can you recommend a hotel? Like, I definitely wanna be a resource for people for domestic travel right now as things are a little more limited. And then in 2021, if the effery does not continue, then I will be- Open up outside. <laughs> right, when we go outside, I will be relaunching um, some of my international trips if people are interested, including some opportunities for Carnival. So stay tuned for that. Um, and I will also be announcing in the next coming weeks some virtual experiences that I'm really excited about as well. Working with Black businesses, um, tourism boards, and it's just going to be a lot of fun. And rum will be involved, wine will be involved. So yeah, make sure to grab a ticket and join me virtually. Yes. Thank you so much. I mean, I think virtual, I didn't even think about virtual, but virtual makes sense because I also see a lot of like chefs and stuff sending boxes to people and they cook all together yeah. online or like you said, they have like wine tasting. So I love that you mentioned virtually because I totally didn't even think of that. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, and that I will be tuning in. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I'll be tuning in for all this stuff that you said that you have. Um, I'm probably going to hit you up about Joshua Tree. Um, okay. and I definitely will be on the lookout for carnival because that is like, you know, I don't want to age out, you know, every year I get a little older and I'm worried that I'm going to no, 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 no. at a carnival. That's, that's the beauty about carnival though. Like it truly is, to be honest, is for the grown and sexy. Like I would say most people that I party with in carnival have been over 35. Like okay. you, and then there's some, there are even some grandmas on the road getting their life. Like it's not it's not an ages sort of thing at all. So mm -hmm. I will be mm -hmm. at carnival, like in a thong, probably when I'm 50, I really don't care what people think. I love that. That's what I love yeah. about Caribbean culture though. There's no age. Cause there's little kids, they have a little kid carnival, you know, I just say age out in terms of whether or not my stamina and my, gotcha, you know, gotcha, my nap gotcha. times are going to work. Gotcha. <laughs> Let me tell you, there's this thing that you will, you'll get through on Soka. Coconut water and rum okay. combo. It nourishes you while it gets you twisted. You're on the road. You're good. good. Hydrated and yeah. you're drunk. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> well, that's 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 it. So everyone check out Kristen and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me and enjoy right. the rest of this very uh, interesting day in California. <laughs> And that is the conclusion of episode nine, the history of travel from the green book to pandemic road tripping. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. If you did, could you please leave us a review if you haven't already? And you can also support by following us all over the interwebs. We are on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you are, we're there. <laughs> we are going to have a bonus episode on Monday because it is Indigenous People Day, formerly known as the C Word Day, because I ain't saying anything. So come back on Monday. We're going to talk about that. And we have some really fun episodes coming up. We're going to be collaborating with some really dope groups of people so this season is not over yet i will let you know if and when we take a break i haven't quite decided but 
thank you for watching or listening wherever you are. And remember, knowledge is power.